1: Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, Jeff Mills, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, we're taking you inside Wall Street's summer blockbuster. What is really driving shares of AMC. You will hear from two of the biggest players in the trade. Trey Collins and Matt Kors, joins, joins us straight ahead. Plus, a former trader at Citadel is sounding the alarm. He says the market is broken and he is pointing his finger at his old firm, why he thinks the retail trader is getting what he calls a raw deal. And later, we're spotting the next big breakout with three big moves in the options market. We'll break down the new names that need to be on your radar. All right, welcome, everybody. Great to have you with us tonight. You might notice a little something different tonight. At the bottom of your screen, we place part of our ticker with livestock commentary from a few select Reddit boards. If you keep it clean, you might just see your comments scroll by, but keep it clean. <laughs> let's get right to it, though, and dive into another red-hot day for AMC. The stock rallying 10% to close above $60 a share, its second-highest close ever. So let's take you inside this trade. CNBC's Kate Rooney is kicking us off tonight. Hey, Kate. Hey, Melissa. That's right. Another wild week for AMC. The stock closed up about 10% today
2: today. Adding to that eye-popping 2,700% rally so far this year, AMC's CEO Adam Aaron has really looked to make the most of it. AMC sold shares in January, May, and June to raise money and pay down debt. The CEO saying AMC has raised more than a billion dollars in the past 45 days alone. And as a result, S&P upgraded AMC's credit rating last week. The stock is mostly owned by individual shareholders. The CEO says it's about 80% retail investors at this point. But a lot of people are also betting against this name. Almost a quarter of AMC shares available to trade, known as the short, are or known as the float, are sold short at this point. The stock is also consistently one of the most mentioned names on Wall Street Bets and other popular Reddit forums. The analyst community, though, a little less bullish there. The price target or the average price target, five dollars. And
1: 25 cents. Meanwhile, the stock is trading around 60 bucks a share. Melissa, back to you. All right. Kate, thanks. Kate Rooney with the latest on the AMC trade and what's driving it. Uh, Tim Seymour, I'll go to you. You know, GameStop was sort of a flash in the pan. Here we are talking about AMC above 60. Um, and it seems like there is some sort of support here, even through this proxy vote.
3: Well, we, we've talked about how the momentum and liquidity dynamics are, are also, you know, very much under pinned by technicals. And, and we talk about this all the time. And, and um, look, without getting into who's short, who's not, and who's speculating and who's not, um, it, on some level, what we've, what we've seen in terms of the enormous volume in this name, um, that wherever it originated, whether it was short covering or whether someone actually had a view, a uh, change in management, uh, the ability to raise capital, finally change the balance sheet construct, the ability to maybe to be Buying up old theater chains and and, and start life anew. Um, it's it's really just been a, a case of where both institutional and retail investors are are very much involved in the trade. And and I don't like I I haven't been terribly bullish on the fundamentals here, um, but I'm also not someone that, that that disregards when the market is telling you something and when you've seen liquidity dynamics that are actually very explainable as opposed to unexplainable.
1: Right, and I think that's key here. And that is you know you may not be able to explain fundamentals driving the stock. Some people say. There are no fundamentals, but that sort of... That doesn't matter in this trade. The trade is the trade. The trade is here. It's at 60 bucks and it's up 10% today. Key
0: word is trade. I mean, like, yeah. so it, whether you're speculating here because you think that 60 could go to 120 that could go to whatever because of memes and because of a lot of people really believe that. 80% of the float, um, like Kate just said, is retail. That's not particularly bullish. Not here. Not based on the disconnection from the fundamentals. And I don't mean to be dismissive, but in 2019, this company did peak revenues, about $5.5 billion. They lost one hundred and twelve billion million dollars. That was pre-pandemic. So if you're telling me that that fixing their capital structure and raising cash and giving themselves a lifeline, that's great. Ultimately, for an investment to work out, you need the fundamentals to kind of pair up with the timing, that sort of thing. And that would be my only warning. And you could say, who the heck am I um, to be warning anybody about this? They're putting their money where their mouth is until it doesn't work anymore. And we saw when the GameStop thing came unwound, there was a lot of people um, who did very poorly, um, you know, in that quick precipitous. Drop and there was probably a handful of people who did
4: very well.
1: Yeah, Guy, what's your take on where we are here and how this does compare with GameStop? Because we did see that that precipitous drop that really caught some people by surprise.
4: Yeah, you're going to interview a couple guys. I'm fascinated to hear what they have to say. I, you know, I'll say I don't think they're trades or investments. There's something different that have you know we've sort of stumbled upon over the last six to nine months. They're vehicles um, for which people to make money and in some cases obviously lose money. But I think that's really all they are. They're vessels that people have found. Maybe they're disproportionately, um, they're, they're people out there disproportionately levered in terms of some of these derivative products. And these guys, guys and gals on Wall Street bet Reddit taking advantage of it. And the symbol this time just happens to be AMC. You know, I don't think the fundamentals really necessarily matter. That's okay. I got to tell you something. If you've enjoyed the move from, you know, $5 to $65, that money is as spendable as money that made from $5 to $65 on a fundamental story. It doesn't really matter. And I say good for them.
1: Yeah. And even if you don't agree with how they're trading, why they're trading, what is behind this trade, Jeff Mills, there are still some positive side effects uh, to this whole movement, let's call it.
5: There's no question about it. There's good and there's bad. I think we've sort of covered the bad, but just to put some numbers to it, and this speaks to what Dan was saying. I mean, right now, if you're buying the stock, you're paying nine times forward sales. The long-term price to sales average is about 0.6 times. So really, what has changed to justify that? And I think it's hard to answer that question. And I'm also a little bit worried about the people who are buying late. What happens to them? Uh, you know, what is their ultimate experience here? I think that's concerning, but, Melissa, to your point, I think the good is very important, and it's very positive that tonight, and I think on a, on a go-forward basis, a lot of people are going to be talking about how the system can be improved. So whether you're talking about settlement timing and DTC, that was the whole Robin Hood thing, whether we're talking about naked shorting, dark pools, I mean, whatever it is, I think there's a big opportunity here to shine some light on what truly needs to be fixed. And you know, kind of the former, the bad stuff is, is generating the focus on all of this uh, market, market plumbing that might need to be changed going forward. So I think it, it all might be a means to a very positive end.
1: All right. Let's dig deeper into AMC with two traders with real skin in the game. Joining us now in a Fast Money exclusive, Trey Collins and Mike Co- Matt Kors. Excuse me. Guys, great to have you with us. Welcome.
6: Hey, appreciate that, Thank Melissa. Job. Thank you very much. An uh, Trey to be and Matt,
1: are, are you, first of all, Matt, are you guys friends? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Have you guys done this before, Trey? together?
6: In an interview together, no, no, this is the first time, but me and Matt have been good buddies for a while. We chat on the phone a couple times a week
7: for sure. I,
1: <laughs> I can tell fun. by your Twitter feed you guys like reference each other and stuff that there's real camaraderie here in this trade. Uh, Matt, I'll kick it off with you. Uh, what's the number one reason at this point at 60 plus bucks a share, AMC will go higher.
7: Oh, the number one reason. So there's definitely a myriad of reasons. But I think for me, it's, um, it's definitely much more of the fact that I would say the stock chart, the stock itself, its price is the scoreboard. And it's the power of the psychological wildfire that the social and cultural movement has taken place. And we're just seeing the impact of that in AMC's ticker.
1: Trey, same question to you, and I'm sure that you probably echo some of what Matt had said. But in terms of other reasons behind this sort of uh, cultural force that's behind this stock, w- what is the reason why AMC will go higher in your view?
6: I think AMC is going to go higher because you're looking at a new breed in the stock market. You're looking at apes. You, you, we're looking at you know old traditional investing styles and methods, and that's really not what you're watching taking place here. It's a kind of a revolution, you know. You could say in, in terms of what's going on for new trading. It's a new opportunity to make money. Uh, You can see the you know story on the chart. The chart is bullish. It's it's consolidating in that fifty five, sixty dollar range. That shows strength. It shows that people are holding the stock, anticipating that it's gonna go higher. And that's why I think it's gonna go higher ultimately.
1: Let's be clear, because um, Trey and I got a chance to chat on the phone yesterday a little bit, Matt. Um, unfortunately, we weren't able to connect. Um, but but we're making the point that it's not necessarily the fundamentals. I mean, if you want a fundamental analysis of this stock, you go to traditional Wall Street research. You can pull all that up as much as you want, get the research report that will say a penny, a share, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but does fundamentals ever factor? I mean, in terms of, you know, knowing that AMC has raised cash, knowing that its debt has been upgraded by S&P, knowing that it's going to buy a chain of theaters in California, does that come into play at all in your narrative for the stock or no, that is a sideshow?
7: Um, very, very minimally, much more closer to it being a sideshow. And The reason I'm saying that is like I don't want to completely ignore it because I know that's the common argument against it. It's fundamental analysis. So in my opinion, the fact that from the start of 2021 until this very moment that we're talking right now, the fundamental trajectory of AMC has improved. So I think that's almost weakening the argument against it. But I just want to reiterate the fact that this is not a fundamental long-term investment right now. This is much more of a swing trade, much more of a momentum train. It is just a trade. Uh, the discussion for a fundamental investment would take place after this short squeeze narrative fully plays out.
1: So can you guys walk me through, and Trey, I'll direct this to you. Can you walk me through what, what are the factors in place for this, what you guys call the mother of all short squeezes to, to take place?
6: Well, there's three main things that both me and Matt, you know, like to talk about, you know, mm-hmm. essentially. And it's it's the short interest, the gamma squeeze, and FOMO buying, essentially the fear of missing out, right? So you've got a pretty decent amount of short interest, and these, these shares have been held for a very long time. In fact, 47 days is the average amount of time that any loan has been held on this stock, which means that the average short position is held at $10. They're down substantially, right? So there are some more shorts that can cover positions and run this up. Gamma squeezing, which is call options running from out the money to in the money, can cause the squeeze up effect as well because market makers have to buy the underlying stock from the market and that can drive price up. And then it's a momentum trade. right? You're going to bring in some day traders, some swing traders, some people who are looking at the stock and thinking this is the hottest security in the market right now. I want to be a part of this. I want to make money on it. And those three factors drive into the momentum that has been what you've watched happen the last month.
1: Matt, what triggers the squeeze eventually? What's it going to look like?
7: What's going to look like, I mean, I think it's just going to be a very volatile, violent move to the upside. And like, just to give some, like, I guess, more of the quantitative numbers to it, Mm -hmm. what trade has said, the people who have been betting on this, on average, have had those shares loaned out for 47 days, which means they got in, on average, around the $10 mark, which means they're down 500%. And to put a number on that, that's over $2 billion. I get it. We're dumb money. We don't know what we're doing. But then why are they the ones down $2 billion And we're the ones that are P&Ls are like insanely, insanely high. So right there, there's just so much pressure against these shorts. Uh, I just did a quick rundown on the out of the money options expiring tomorrow for quadruple witching. We're talking 37 million shares. And then the unknown factor of just FOMO p- buying people. Th- this story is resonating with people on a deeply human level. And I think that means we're going to see more and more FOMO buying why not stick it to wall street when you have the opportunity
1: how much uh trey for you is it the stick it to wall street mentality that's driving your personal position in the stock
6: i gotta be honest with you melissa this is uh this is something personal to me so i come from a place where I, i wasn't very well off right i i did not have a lot of money in fact there was a summer which i lived in the you know the back of my car you know serving and bartending at buffalo wild wings trying to make ends meet and i think you get this this the peak right the peak of the iceberg which essentially is built, the, the stock market's built around these suits and ties, the hedge funds, the big firms, the 1%, so that they can continue to make money off the expense of a systemic problem that takes money from retail investors. I got an AMC as a swing trade, trade back in January. And after watching what you know unfolded with you know Robinhood and some of the halting on trading such so you could only sell your security, I was mad. I was just flat out angry. And I dug into a lot of the research, due diligence, number crunching, and, and just learned, educated myself. To come to see, hey, this is something that I think people are passionate about. This is a stock that I think has some more upside. And I think can send a message to these big guys on Wall Street to show, hey, the retail investor, we're not that stupid. We know how to make money. And we want to send a message to the short sellers out there saying you should stop betting against us. Simple as that.
1: There are a lot of issues that are raised on the Reddit boards and the chat boards, Matt, in terms of what is wrong with Wall Street and and how things should be. What is your number one gripe? What's the number one problem in your view that needs to be addressed? by the sec or regulators or whomever
7: from more of a higher level view i think it's just it's kind of insane that we've gotten to the situation that two twenty-year-olds are coming on the show asking for more transparency in stock market plumbing the amount of unknowns the delay in getting data reports all of it's ridiculous and right now we just want more transparency i think from that higher general level it's just the field is clearly tilted. We're not engaging in a fair game across the board. There's just different rules for different players. And we're just asking for a fair shot across the board.
1: Trey, same question to you.
6: I would speak on the exact same thing. You know, this is something I find very fascinating. It's the amount of retail investors that have gotten into the stock market in the last 12 months, right? Pre COVID and pandemic, right? There was about 20% of actual transactions on the market, retail investors. Now it's 35%. Now, an even more mind boggling number is off exchange transactions, the transparency. That Matt was talking about—it's about fifty percent about of actual transactions that take place in dark pools and off-exchange trading. I mean, just the name dark pools doesn't—that <laughs> it just, it sounds like something that you shouldn't even trust, and it—it's not transparent, right? You've got that—you've got the T two settlement system. You've got big brokers saying, "But look at this—you're saving money on transactions." When in reality, it's really not—it's pennies compared to the millions of dollars that is, you know, coming from the expense of the retail investor.
1: Matt, I want to get back to the idea that you guys view this as a you know, swing trade, momentum trade. It's a trade. And yet on the Reddit boards, it's diamond hands. And so are you trading around a position, a core position in AMC, or, or how are you managing that position?
7: So for me personally, I've been just continually building on my shares. And then I'll kind of move in and out of different options. And that's just exclusively because they um, expire at whatever date. So for example, for me personally, I have a bunch of options that expire tomorrow. Depending on what's going on, I might roll some, I might exercise some. But overall, I have that core share position that all I do is add to.
1: Same question to you, Trey. And I'll add to this, what other stocks are you trading besides AMC? Because I'm guessing that you're probably trading lots.
6: So... My kind of strategy, this is just my strategy, right? Is I purchased about 80% of my AMC position in stock and the other 20% in options. And I'll roll the options the same exact way that Matt will, you know, so that I can capitalize on the gains and not have to fight theta so much. And you can use those gains to buy more stock, buy more options. And I continue to drive that in. And that's kind of what I've been doing since January 26th or 27th. That's about the first day that I I bought AMC stock. But to be absolutely transparent with you, I've got long-term positions that I don't look at. But other than that, AMC is what I've been focused on because I've got that much conviction in the trade. I, I have since January. Just crunching these numbers, doing the research, I didn't think if $5 was as high as it would go. I don't think a penny is where it's going to go either.
1: Okay. We're going to have a number of regulators, ex-regulators, ex-SEC folks on this show tonight. So, Matt, just quickly, what's your number one question that you'd like answered on behalf of what you call the the ape community?
7: I would like a lot more insight on this the Concept of what we're seeing if they're successfully segmenting all of retail traders, which I think is damaging to the market as a whole. This entire concept of payment for order flow kind of hurting all retail traders. I don't see how that leads to a healthy Wall Street experience.
1: Trey, how about you?
6: The audio cut out. Would you mind saying that again?
1: The number one question that you would have that you'd like answered tonight. We're going to have a lot of sort of ex-regulator, ex-SEC type guests.
6: I'd like to see what sort of systemic changes we can make. I think there's a huge opportunity to learn from the last six months of experience that's taken place in, in the stock market, specifically around heavily shorted stocks, momentum trades like AMC and, and GameStop. How do we address failure to deliver?s How do we address hard-to-borrow securities getting naked short sold? How, how do we address e- astronomical you know, margin debt? What are the things that we need to do to fix the, you know, the high-frequency trading? There's a lot of big things that have led to this pivotal moment are watching unfold in front of everybody's eyes right now. That's what I'd like to know.
1: All right. Trey and Matt, we'd love to have you back on. Great to speak with you. Thank you.
6: Appreciate it, Melissa. Thank Trey you. Trey Collins
1: and Matt Kors. All right. Let's uh, talk about this. Uh, Tim. What do you think? It's interesting to hear them speak. Very well spoken for twenty-year-olds. that's uh, for sure.
3: Look, <laughs> their understanding of market dynamics is important. Their understanding, understanding of complex derivative markets important. Look, like it's it's nice to to actually hear of the empowerment of you know, and they represent a self-proclaimed retail investor class at a time when the market. Um, look, we've had we've had many periods over the last ten to twenty years where uh, the sense is that you've lost the retail investor. Um, there's different reasons why coming out of COVID, I think we brought retail investors even more into the market. They, they include, we talked about this at times, when there was less gambling to be done, when there, was, when there were stimulus checks that, that could go straight into the market, when there were people stayed at home and they were just bored. Um, but the great news for the retail investor community, I think, is that there's never been more information. The proliferation of information, I think, has leveled the playing field. So, you know, there's fantastic information that's free. There's fantastic information and, and newsletters that don't cost a lot of money. So
4: I think that's part of the bullish story here. Yeah. Guy, CNBC was created to help democratize. And I think to a large extent, when we started this show 14 and a half years ago, that's one of the things we were trying to do was to help empower people. You know, the one, there are a number of things that they said I find fascinating. I, I don't think, this is just my opinion, I don't think the short sellers are trying to stick it to the retail investor at all. I think they're trying to take advantage of stocks they feel are overvalued and are going lower. Um, but, but I don't think it's to try to stick it to the retail crowd. I mean, that's the one place a few places that I would sort of um, take a different road. But I understand what they're saying. Again, it's a fascinating conversation and everybody has different views. My biggest problem with it is I don't think um, the, the establishment is trying to stick it to the retail side of things.
1: Okay, coming up, the market is broken. That's the sharp indictment from a former trader at Citadel, why he says the average trader is getting a raw deal. Plus, spotting the next big short squeeze, data from Ortex out with new numbers tonight will bring you the four stocks that need to be on your watch list. As we head to break, let's take a look at some of those talked about stocks on Reddit right now, according to Thinknum Alternative Data. Fast money's back right after this.
8: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place?
1: Welcome back to the special edition of Fast Money, where we're taking you inside the AMC trade. We're getting new data tonight on some of the most heavily shorted names in the market. According to financial data from Ortex, 5.5 million shares of AMC were borrowed today. 3.1 million were returned. Short interest rose by 2.8 percent. With shares up 10 percent today, AMC short sellers lost $383 million today alone. This, according to Ortex, bringing total losses this year to $4.7 billion. Okay, another name that stood out, Clover Health, a recent Reddit darling, which saw short interest increase by more than 4% today. And turning to GameStop, the stock that started this all, short interest actually fell by 9%. 126,000 shares were borrowed today and more than 1 million returned. And then there's cannabis company Sundial Growers, saw short interest fall 7%. 4 million shares were borrowed today, nearly $20 Returned. Jeff Mills, thoughts on any of those stocks we just talked about?
5: Well, I think you'd be sort of crazy to short AMC or GameStop right here. Uh, you know, the fundamentals obviously aren't the driver. And I think these retail traders can keep the prices high for a long period of time. But they're, they're the anointed ones. I think... When you start talking about other stocks, there ends up being a coordination issue. And the more the capital gets spread out, I think the harder it is to sustain a move higher in price. And I think you saw that in a stock like Clover. You've seen that in Wendy's. You've seen that in Sundial, these big pops, but then they don't stay and they retreat. And I think that's the issue when you start talking about some of these other names. It ends up creating an opportunity for short sellers because there just isn't enough volume to keep the price high.
0: Yeah, I would just add that, you know, listening to those gentlemen before, they're talking about these positions that they're long. They're very focused on them, they're spending a lot of their time, their resources, and their capital on. It institutions don't really think of it that way. They don't really have one-off shorts. Yep. You don't just be a long player and then say, you know what, that looks like a great short. I'm going to lean into that. And, and really, I think the difference is um, that, you know, risk management is really important. And I'm sure these guys are focused on that. They got bills to pay and this and that, whatever. And, and the truth is, the way the markets work, the way capitalism works, is that capital is going to find its most productive uses. And at some point, it's not going to be deemed productive in those stocks. It might be 100% from here, or it might be much lower. So I guess when you're targeting, when you're thinking about shorts, hedge funds aren't targeting situations on a one-off basis. They're either thinking about it holistically or they're putting them in pairs or they're doing some stuff like that. First of all, I largely agree with everything you said. But I do think that hedge
3: funds, um, short sellers can have directional hedges um, or they can have they could. They actually could have tactical hedges, or they could have, uh, in some sense, hedges that are there to be correlation hedges. So, if you see a broken company and you're going after it, you're you're playing offense. And shorting stocks, uh, especially finding broken companies and going after uh, structurally flawed companies, or broken companies, or ones that, for a lot of different reasons, whether it's balance sheet or other, is the hardest thing to do. And and, and I actually think that is a Guy that ran a long-short hedge fund for a long time. On the short side, um, one of the problems is you can have a view and and you can be right, but you can compound the position by being long and short. And pairs trades. How often do those work, Dan? I mean, it's very rare right. that you get the, the derived but response. I, and, and anyway, so I, I think it's it's a tough environment to be doing yeah, any the of that right the last point now.
0: I would just make is concentration. These guys are very concentrated long, right? Like that's the trade for them. But on the short side, I don't think that you're going to see an institution's hedge funds in particular. Book right. You, you would keep one position at like a, uh, like a low single digits percentage of the whole book, right? And then you risk manage it. Melvin was doing something that I don't know of the too many smart hedge funds are doing. You're not pressing a single-digit stock because it can only go to zero, right? It's asymmetric. And that's what these guys got right. That's what they got right at AMC at $2. It's, it's a
9: crapshoot at $60. All right.
1: We are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next.
9: Are we dealing with a broken market? A former high-frequency trader joins us next to lay down why he says retail traders are getting a raw deal. Plus, which stock is going to the moon Next. Our own Pete Nigerian is bringing some names that caught his attention. We've got that and a lot more
8: when Fast Money returns.
10: For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project UP, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at comcast.com slash project up.
2: So in some of the meme stocks that we've seen or where there are stocks that have high level retail participation, the vast majority of order flow can trade off of exchanges, which is problematic that price formation is not really reflective of what supply and demand is.
1: That was part of my conversation with NYSC President Stacey Cunningham at CNBC's Evolve Global Summit yesterday. Catch the whole interview right now at cnbcevents.com slash evolve. Um, let's get into her comments because this is a major gripe um, of this crowd, and that is that there's no transparency. And that, those comments get right, in fact, to the heart of it, that about half of total trading, and I'm saying total trading, all stocks in the United States happen off exchange. And so is, therefore, the price we see – scrolling at the bottom of, uh, of the screen on the ticker, it, does that actually reflect true supply and demand if half of that's off the Well,
3: if that trend is, is is growing as it appears to be, it's, it's, it's distressing. Um, it also means that people are probably paying more for their trades. The bid ask gets wider. I mean, there's different dynamics here. And, and as I said earlier, the proliferation of information is the best thing that ever happened to, to not just retail, but to institutions, too. I mean, let's be clear. Um, the playing field has been leveled between the buy side and the sell side a long time ago. And it used to be that the only guys that had uh, the, the pricing insight were the guys making the prices. And so, um, look, I, I think it's all moving into a place where technology has democratized the industry. And, and I think largely there is. But your, your point about Execution that's going on away from exchanges, and, and is that um, misleading investors as to actual real price discovery? Of course, it is.
1: And then, of course, for certain names like an AMC, that those percentages are much greater in terms of the difference off exchange and the difference and the amount on exchange. AMC is one example. A lot of these Reddit stocks are examples where much, much more in terms of a higher percentage of the order flow is directed off exchange. Guy, um, do you think that this is problematic? I mean, it. it you know, to the retail investor, it might look like there's two sets of prices or there's two systems in place.
4: Yeah, it's fascinating. I, you know, I, I, I really don't know how to answer that. I'd, I'd be curious to hear what the regulators say. But I'll say this, you know, to think these any of these situations have just been your run of the mill short squeezes. I don't think that's really I think it's a bit of a false narrative. I mean, we talked about this with Rich Greenfield a couple of weeks ago. AMC's probably traded a few billion shares. It's given ample opportunity to any just r- run of the mill short to cover their positions i've said all along that these are probably more highly levered derivative positions that take place off exchange and if that's problematic it is what it is but these guys and gals at you know the red at the wall street bets crowd have intuitively understood that that goes on and they're taking advantage of it which is the point i've been making all along again i don't think that those positions were put on to stick it to the retail investor i think they were put it on to try to make a lot of money for their funds and their investors, and they've just backfired on them. It's a fascinating uh, set of circumstances that have literally taken place over the last six to nine months.
1: All right. Our next guest says the current market structure is broken and retail traders are getting a raw deal. Let's bring in Dave Lauer. He's a former high-frequency trader at Citadel. He is now CEO of Urban AI. Dave, great to have you with us.
10: Thank you so much, Melissa, for having me on. It's a real treat. Why, Why a raw deal? What about the deal is raw? Uh, well I, I think you there's a lot about our current market structure uh that's overly complex and if you ask any regulator they will tell you that this is not the market structure you would design if you were starting from scratch and, and it's something that's been layered on year after year and decade after decade um, and frankly the point that we've gotten to is one in which a lot of incumbents have been able to structure it exactly how they want it to be structured uh, because they're making a lot of money and they are able to wield a lot of political power. Uh, and I think we've really lost sight of uh, the, the two primary purposes for markets, which is price discovery and capital formation. And price discovery is so critical. that And that happens mainly on stock exchanges, on lit markets. So this issue that you just brought up with half of all trading taking place off of exchange and up 70% or more in stocks like GameStop and, and AMC, I, I think is a real problem and it's costing everyone uh, money it's costing the retail investors money who are trading through their brokers and who all of whom's orders are being sent to people like Citadel and Virtu but it's costing pension plans and mutual funds money because they're the ones trading off of the exchange quote and if that quote is wider because of all this ex- off-exchange trading taking place and it, by some estimates 25% or more is how much wider the spread is than if all of those retail orders were to make it to the exchange. So if they're trading against a wider spread that's 25 percent too wide or artificially widened, that's costing pension plans money. That's costing mutual fund companies money. That's where everyone that's where retail truly has all of its wealth. And I think that's a big problem.
1: So they're getting a raw deal because they have to pay more under this current antiquated system that was built by incumbents, you say?
10: Yeah, that's right. And and when you have uh, the internalizers in a de facto duopoly, you have also you other you have other issues around corporate concentration of power and antitrust and and. Gary Gensler has said exactly that in his SEC testimony or in, in his uh, congressional testimony when he was becoming uh, SEC chair in, in his first testimony. You know, this is an issue that I think is going to get a lot of attention. And I think that concentration of information is also problematic, right? If 70 percent of GameStop is trading through Citadel and Virtu and they're also making markets on exchange and they're the, de- the designated market maker on the NYSE, for example, they have a huge information advantage. And, and that kind of information advantage means that they have a lot of power to set the price of that stock. Um, now, it, I, it doesn't mean that they're affirmatively manipulating it. I'm not saying that. But it does mean that they have a lot of power and they can swing it uh, you know, in, in all sorts of ways uh, to help improve their profitability or change the, the quote at which they're then internalizing.
5: Hey, David, it's Jeff Mills here. Um, quick question for you. You know, obviously the SEC regulation cycle is, is very long. We're shining a light yeah. here on some issues that impact retail traders. Is there anything that they can actually do today to better position themselves for the environment in which they're operating?
10: Um, in terms, You're asking in terms of what should regulators be doing?
5: what retail traders can do right now like is there are there any actionable insights that they can take away from this discussion other than the idea that yes they are disadvantaged but is there anything they can do to better position themselves
10: given the present circumstances Uh, i i think so Um, and i think that they can take a good long hard look at their broker and how does their broker handle their orders now If you're a retail trader, it is very difficult to get away from a broker who is sending your orders to this duopoly of uh, internalizers. However, uh, when the the retail broker sends their order to an internalizer, the internalizer has a certain amount of profit that they're going to make. And then they have a certain amount of money that they can rebate back to either the broker or the retail client. So if they send it back to the broker, that's payment for order flow. If they send it back to the client, that's price improvement. They get a better price on their execution. Some brokers take nearly all of it as payment for order flow. Uh, Other brokers don't take any payment for order flow. They just give it all back to their client as price improvement. Uh, So if you're a retail uh, investor, you can say, well, I probably want to go with the broker uh, who gives me everything in price improvement. That's going to add up over time. Um, And it does get to another issue that I think regulators need to address, which is best execution. And are are these retail investors really getting best execution if... You're measuring it against an artificially widened spread, and it's okay for some brokers to take everything in payment while others are giving everything in price improvement. I I can't see how those things can possibly both be best execution. Uh, But the problem is, if you ask a regulator, uh, they will tell you, and this is a direct quote, that trying to enforce best execution is like trying to nail jello to a wall. And I think that's a real problem for markets.
4: Yeah, I'm not a big fan of jello, really never have been. But what I'll say is, you know, it's interesting, we're drilling down on one very specific thing, but would you submit that the playing field in terms of where we were 10 years ago to where we are we now in terms of the retail has never been narrower? I, th- I mean, I th- my sense is the playing field has never been flatter than it is now, your comments notwithstanding.
10: Yeah, if you're going to compare to, um, you know, early days of Reg NMS or pre-NMS, uh, the, there is no doubt that the electronification of markets has been an incredible uh, trend uh, for everybody, you, both the, the institutional asset managers holding money, you know, the, holding the wealth of retail, as well as individual retail investors. I, I would never deny such a thing. But I think if you're looking to assign uh, reasons for that, um, it, it's hard to say that, you know, off-exchange, the increase of off-exchange trading is helping, or it's hard to say that the, the, the practice of internalization is helping relative to something like decimalization, uh, which dramatically brought down costs for people without all of this complexity that we've then introduced.
1: Um, last question, Dave, and that is, um, since you worked at Citadel and you have comments about what you call this duopoly uh, running off-exchange trading of Virtu and, and Citadel, do you think that they use what they see um, in terms of order flow to their advantage?
10: <laughs> that, that, that seems like a dangerous question to answer. Um, and so I, I, I would never say, you know, I would never accuse anybody specifically of um, manipulating markets or anything like that. Um, but I, I think that, having that kind of information is suboptimal for markets. Having that concentration of information is not where we wanna be. I believe in open and free competition for order flow. And I believe if you send all of those retail orders to lit exchanges, you would compress spreads for everybody and those retail orders would get just as good, if not better execution because of competition, which is something that if you're in markets, you'd think you would support, just completely free and open competition.
1: Dave, great to speak with you. Thank you.
10: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Dave Lauer. All right. Um, Dan, what do you think? Because payment for order flow helped the retail investor get to zero, zero, zero dollar trading. Yeah, so I mean, that's, that's, that's Robin Hood. That's, that's Robo That's the advisor of that model. Um.
0: Yeah, I don't know who's complaining about what. I mean, they only complained when Robinhood shut them down and didn't let them trade. But they were perfectly happy to have a free iPhone app that let them trade all day and night and give them margin to do it. So, you know, at the end of the day, it was the on-ramp for a lot of them. And um, so, you know, are they complaining about uh, payment for order flow? Are they complaining about being the the product, you know what I mean, Not, not the actual service, that sort of thing? I don't think so anymore. And I suspect a lot of them have gone back to Robinhood because they're perfectly happy for it when it's open for business, right? So... Um, you know, and I just say one other thing that the guy made a great point is like markets have probably never been as transparent. You can talk about all this off exchange sort of volume. It's always been that way. Tim, you remember trading on the bike. You, you know, you'd see tra- you'd go up all in right. a big trade. And
3: it traded in, yeah. in pluses.
1: So in it's liquid and, and, and it's transparent and it's easy the market was another example of the biggest information, but I will push back and say, Back then, you could have said, that's the way it is, and, and just say, okay, f- let's let it be. But that wasn't the answer either. We are in an information age of everything electronified, so why not have more transparency in this market? Jeff Mills, for you, the notion that that spread is wide between lit markets and off-exchange, to you, is that a, should that be rectified? Should it be a tighter spread? Should everything be go, going to a lit market?
5: Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think there, there's a misconception that, that people like me actually want some sort of rigged system because, you know, we're, we're big money managers, we manage billions of dollars, but like generally we are slower moving long-term investors. We're not trading in dark pools, things of that nature. So I, I think a lot of these big money managers, you know, quote unquote, actually have interests that are very much aligned with the retail investors. So I think anything that can be done to improve liquidity, improve price discovery, you know, I'm certainly supportive of that.
1: Coming up on this special edition of Fast Money, get ready for liftoff. Our own I mean, Pete Najarian is bringing us the names that could be going to the moon next. Plus, leveling the playing field is the game rigged against the retail investors. Do regulators need to do more to fix it? We'll speak with the former SEC insider straight ahead. Stay with us. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. We're tracking some unusual activity in the options market on some big momentum movers. Let's bring in Pete Nigerian with a look at some of those names. Hey, Pete, what are you watching?
9: I'm watching a bunch of them, Mel. I'll rattle them off real quick for you. So I start with BlackBerry. Now, BlackBerry is interesting. You go back to January, stock was trading about $8. We had a buyer of 21,000 of the September 10 calls paying about $2 for those. Within weeks, those were suddenly, the stock was trading around $28. So huge jump there. Now it's pulled back a little bit. It's trading right around $13 today. We have 5,000 of the September 21 calls getting bought today. So looking for a nice uh, spike to the upside there in BlackBerry, which has about a 10% short or, or something very close to that. Macy's is the next one. Now, Macy's is a very interesting story. It jumped in January, jumped in March, and jumped in May, all after seeing a lot of uh, unusual option activity that was really hitting for us in there. Today, with the stock trading right around $18, a little bit more than that, we had a buyer of 10,000 of the August 21 calls in there. Looking for a nice spike in the stock as well, once again. And again, Some of that short interest of around 13% or thereabouts for that particular name as well. I got one last one, Workhorse. Makes a little sense. Got about 40% short interest in this particular name. And with the stock trading just below 16, they not only bought tomorrow's June 16s, but the following Friday's June 16s as well. So a lot of activity out there looking for some nice spikes in the stocks. And with some of that short interest, we know how that short squeeze can work very, very rapidly.
1: Pete, you've traded in some of these names, and specifically, as I recall, you have traded AMC, just recognizing um, the action there, the momentum there. Are you in any of these other names that you flagged? Mm
9: -hmm. Yes. I am in all those names, I, I just got out of AMC. I've been in Clove. I've been in just about every one of these names. It's hard to resist, Mel, because I see this activity. We see, we know the short side of things, and we know that there's been some success in the past. So whether it's GameStop, AMC, uh blackberry whatever the name might be we just continue to see this start to expand more and more out there not just those two or three or four names but now we're seeing up to about 10 12 maybe 20 names out there that have huge jumps to the upside in terms of the option activity and whether or not they can follow through we'll see but some of those are still in play
1: why'd you get out of amc and are you going to get back in you think
9: Yeah, I'll probably be back in as soon as I see some monster activity once again. So far, the activity that we've seen in AMC has been very strong. 1.9 million contracts again today trading in there. But Mel, what I've been seeing is I see way out of the money call buying, up in the 150 range strikes that are getting getting the activity. But those are a little bit too far out for me right now. So for now, I'm sitting back and waiting for the next a little bit closer to where the stock is.
1: Um, Tim, just quickly, you've been in Macy's. You see this unusual activity. What does it feel like? I think what does it, go through your head when you have a stock for fundamental reasons and you see this sort of unusual activity?
3: So, so the volume increase in Macy's mm-hmm. is notable again in the last couple of days. And, and when the stocks had its big moves, obviously those have been around big volume moves. The, the story for me for Macy's is going to be fundamental, though. And, and I realize the short interest um, has, has given me the confidence to chase the fundamentals. The story for Macy's has been a credit improvement. Um, they're, they're, first of all, they issued bonds, $500 million bonds in March, where they are able to to basically call back in and refund significantly higher coupons. They've lowered their cost of capital. They have 41 fewer stores than they had pre-COVID. There's going to be 100 more fewer stores going forward. It's been a credit recovery story. And to me, that's always the biggest move for stock. Um, the short interest, th- those folks got crushed Uh, by an improving credit story, which is a fundamental story, and that's why I like Macy's.
1: Pick your poison, Guy Dami, of the names that Pete mentioned.
4: Yeah, I think Macy's is interesting. I mean, look, uh, Pete can speak to AMC. Obviously, he's done a great job there. But I think Macy's, which was trading 22 just in the middle of March, has pulled back. You know, given what Pete just said, I think Macy's, in terms of the setup for the, the WSB Reddit crowd and in terms of some of the fundamentals, makes the most sense.
1: Pete Najarian, thanks for dropping by. We appreciate it. Always good to see you. Thanks, Mel. All thanks, right. We got much Mel. more Fast Money right after this.
2: <music>
1: Welcome back to your sneak peek at the Kramer Cam. Jim is talking with the CEO of Clean Energy. It's been big target on the Reddit boards. You won't want to miss the exclusive interview, top of the hour on Mad Money. Stay tuned for that. All hour long, we've been surrounding the AMC trade. So let's talk regulation now. Is there a regulatory crackdown coming? Let's bring in Jacob Frankel, former SEC enforcement lawyer. He is now a partner at Dickinson Wright. Jacob, great to see you again.
3: Thank you. Good
8: to see you. What
1: what do you think or who do you think, what group do you think is number one on the list for the SEC to investigate when it comes to this whole trade?
11: The answer answer to your question about investigate is is really the key. Investigation would be, those who were involved in the momentum trading—that would be, that would be, whether it be institutions, whether it be individuals, whether it be those who were trading off the Reddit board, whether it was those who were messaging on the board and trading. What the SEC will look at is everyone who traded in these meme stocks, those that were, that were trading in dispropor- disproportionate percentages to what their fundamentals demanded. And you go back to what you were talking about with respect to options, the word fundamentals kept coming up time and time and time again in your last segment. And the fact is, what we're really talking about is, what is the SEC going to do from an investigative perspective with respect to all these securities that were running well beyond what the fundamentals demanded?
1: Isn't that a judgment then by the SEC that fundamentals either warrant or don't warrant an investigation, that's not really the role of the SEC to say, hey, this stock isn't worth this, and so we're going to investigate the trading surrounding it. Well, the a great market question judges because, what
11: it's worth. It's a great question, because I'm really not talking about using fundamentals as the, as the metric for the investigation, because there's nothing that should prevent a stock from being able to run 20% or 30% on its own. The real issue was, was there any fraudulent activity involved in the trading was there manipulative activity were for example individuals you know try encouraging buying saying hey i'm in the stock you know let's get on this for whatever reason when they in fact are selling the stock so i think those are the dynamics that the SC is going to look at from an investigative perspective Mm -hmm. when you frame the question originally you were talking about regulation i don't think you can regulate here because you really can't create multiple tiers of regulation or apply different metrics To these securities so
1: all right we're up against the top of the hour jacob it's always good to hear from you though jacob frankel sounds like everybody may have a target on their back at this point coming up next we got your final trades Welcome back to Fast Money. It is time for the final trade. That went fast, right, Tim?
3: Good times. No, really interesting focus today. Uh, we talked about Macy's. Look, uh, I, I like Macy's because there's a fundamental improvement in the balance sheet. I think also their digital store growth uh, is part of that. Again, their e-commerce
0: business is a fresh start for
3: Macy's.
1: Tim? Hi. Uh, Dan? <laughs>
0: Uh, That was good. Um, I I like SoFi here. You know, it just traded above $22. um, It made a high of $28.5 or so um, a few months ago. It went public via SPAC as SoFi June 1st. Um, I think when they report their first uh, quarter as a publicly traded company, things will be good.
1: I did that because I was looking at the bottom. I was captivated by these comments that are scrolling Uh, at the bottom of the screen. I got caught looking at them and not focusing. Um, But Jeff Mills, I'm completely focused (laughs) on your final trade now.
5: (laughs) (laughs) That's good to hear. So we're talking about stocks that have moved all over the place, Viacom certainly being one of them. We actually dumped it on the way up, but I think it looks sort of interesting here. It's held $40 pretty nicely, 10 times forward earnings. I think it's worth a look.
1: Guy Dami.
4: You know, the market was interesting today, clearly, but I think it's important to shine a light through all different lenses on, you know, what's obviously been going on for the last six to nine months. So hopefully we did that justice. And in, in the, so the, through the lens that we talked about, DraftKings should have been down a lot more on the back of that Hindenburg report. It wasn't. That's interesting in terms of the context that we spent the last hour on, Mel.
1: All right. Thanks so much for joining us tonight on Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at five for more Fast. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.
8: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At P. Jim, it's a question that over fourteen hundred investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals